Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hi, I'm Marcus Speller and welcome to the Barcelona Legacy Podcast. This is the fifth of a six-part series to coincide with the release of the Barcelona Legacy, a book that explores how the evolution of today's game begins at Barcelona 25 years ago with the pioneering ideas of Johan Cruyff and was taken on by the likes of Louis van Gaal, Jose Mourinho and Pep Guardiola. It's written by one of our panellists, Jonathan Wilson, who writes for The Guardian, Sports Illustrated and World Soccer, and it's out this month in hardback, ebook. An audiobook. We're also joined today by Paolo Bandini, who is a freelance sports writer and broadcaster. Last episode, we left off discussing Barcelona versus Manchester United in the famous Champions League final in 2009. In this episode, we are a year on and the semi-final of the competition when Barcelona took on Inter. It was the first season that Guardiola and Mourinho had met as coaches and the beginning of one of the game's great rivalries. We're looking at uh, the second leg of the semi-final, Jonathan. Um, But really, the story is about the two legs, of course. Yeah, and... This is the sort of the, the the final the beginning of the final stage for Mourinho that he has of his break away from that Cruyffian philosophy that he'd begun to move away from it at Porto. Um I think he'd he moved more decisively away from it at Chelsea, and then he misses out on the Barcelona job, and that is his sort of final rejection from a club that had nurtured him as a coach. And he 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 I don't think it's too strong to say he sets out to just do the opposite of Barcelona. He he sets out to 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 rip down that that temple, um, and you have a cathedral as, as Guardiola calls it. And he goes to Inter, and then as luck would have it, they they meet in the Champions League group stage, and the, the two games there are, are, are pretty much non-events. There's nil nil draw in Milan, a two nil win uh, at the at the Camp Nou, and then they meet again in the semi-final, Inter win three one in Milan, and then back at the Camp Nou, Barca win one nil. It's an absolute siege of the Inter goal, but they hold out, hold out, hold out, and win 3-2 in aggregate. The most beautiful defeat of my career, as Mourinho called it. <laughs> I've no doubt he did. And of course, at the time, Paolo, this was the Barcelona side that so many people around the world fall in love with. They seemed unbeatable, and Mourinho was so determined. 
Absolutely. I mean, actually, I feel like the Italian press has, has become a bit too enamoured with extraterrestrial metaphors. But I remember at the time when uh, the the first leg, when Inter won 3-1, the, the headline in Gazetta was, we are the Martians. Because for them, Barcelona <laughs> were Martians. They were, they were these aliens who played the best football in the world. And suddenly... Uh, Inter were, were were playing on a par with them, and yes, you know, Jose was was in his, his second season there, had sort of gone through this period of of awkwardness. Actually, even with the Inter fans at first, I think not everyone took to his abrasiveness particularly well at first. But by this point, they're eating out of his hand, and and the way it happened in you know, <laughs> funnily enough, with a, with a you know an, a Portuguese manager and a, and a distinctly not Italian set of players, um, a very Italian uh, way of winning that second leg certainly uh, certainly was the perspective in Italy of, of how it happened. Yeah. Can't forget the the, the ash cloud. The yeah, Iceland the, ash cloud. These were Martians who <laughs> yeah. couldn't fly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that definitely played its part. The Barcelona mm. had to travel to the game by bus. It took 16 hours. Yeah. Um, just because there were no flights over Europe at the time because of, uh, you know, an Icelandic volcano had exploded his ash cloud over Europe. Uh, and that clearly did affect Barca's preparation. Weirdly, the same thing happened again in 2011 before the final. There was... Uh, uh, Grimsfetten, the volcano then that erupted, uh, and Sebastian had travelled very early to London for the 2011 final because they were so concerned. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, they realised how how much it um, affected them having to travel by bus in in, in 2010. Yeah, and this, but this Barcelona side though, because the Champions League at the time hadn't been retained, it never been won back to back. Everyone thought this is the, this is the side that's going to do it. Oh yeah, I mean they've been so good in 2009, and they were so good through. Through the first part of that 2009-10 season, you're utterly dominant in Spain. Um, you're cruising through in, in, in the Champions League. The, you know, teams were thinking if they got beaten, sort of by three, you know, three nil, or we haven't done too badly. And you know, the time now we could work out how to play against them. Did you? If you, you know, if you sat back, um, then you're just letting Barcelona have 75, 80 percent of the ball. Inevitably, would have 20, 25 shots. And you're praying that one of the, you know, these geniuses all have off days at the same time, none of them go in. But if you push high up the pitch, you left space in behind you. And you saw teams did unsettle Barcelona by pressing high up the pitch, but they still lost three and four nil because Barcelona then, then picked them off and, and hit the space. So there, there was a, a, a distinct sense going into those those two games that there is no way of beating this team. You know, we, we don't know how to do it. And Inter showed you could do it by having 19% possession. <laughs> Which is remarkable, Paolo, if you think about it. Yeah, I mean, of course, they they, they didn't beat them with 19% possession. Well, there's a the bit more to the story. But they did have uh, the smaller share of possession even in, in, in the first leg. Um, and yes, I mean, you know, Jonathan talks about uh, ways to beat them. I mean, that Inter team was was so defined by the arrival of Wesley Snyder at the beginning of the season, right? Like it was a it was a complete sort of transformation in, in the way they, they lined up. And, and for a, a good part of the season, it was sort of a... A diamond midfield four three one two, and and you've got Schneider doing what he does best, which is playing comfortably in that number ten spot and and running the play. But actually, by the time of the semi final, what Mourinho was doing against Barcelona was lining up in a four three uh, four two three one. So he had Eto going out to play on the wing, um, which was already a, a big ask of a player who you think uh, certainly the 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 public impression at that time was that he was you know he'd fallen out with Guardiola because he was being asked to do things that weren't his job as just a striker but for Mourinho for whatever reason he was able to say no Melito's the guy who's going to lead the line and you can do this this role for us out wide where you can be really productive but actually yeah you know that, that lineup in the first leg it had Eto, it had Melito, it had Schneider it had Pandev yes it's it's a 4-2-3-1 and, and Mourinho's you know, brilliant in that formation it, it suits him he, he likes it when he can get that um, you know, combativeness high on the flanks it's very attacking set of players. 
Um, in terms of the actual personnel you've got there, it's it's that's a team designed to to get at you. And and I suppose the first leg is defined a bit as well by the fact that Pedro scores early, and at that point, Inter have no choice, right? They have to come and, and do something. But but it was quite a bold um, a bold lineup, I thought, and and actually it was exactly in theory what he was going to replicate in the second leg right up until Pandev gets injured during the warm-ups and then Christian Kivu comes in instead and suddenly that looks like a very different team it looks like a team designed to defend a bit more although again you know Motta goes off and, and, and changes changes it again but just to say on that, on that um, you know talking about how hard this Barcelona team was to beat I believe that that first leg was the first game that Guardiola had lost by two goals as Barcelona manager at all in 114 games mm. so that was you know it was quite something you know I, Ash proud or not to lose by two goals was was big yeah it, well, it, just talking about that lineup you know that was the lineup that he'd picked away at Chelsea mm-hmm. in the last 16 when they'd, they'd won 2-1 at home the assumption had been from, from I think everybody you know British press, Italian press, that Inter would, would go to Stamford Bridge and shut up shop and you know, try to hold on. And they didn't. They, they played that 43 on in a quite attacking way, ended up dominating possession. You're a very un Mourinho thing to do. Mm-hmm. And actually were very much the better side, won it 1-0. And I guess after they gone 1-0 up, it, the game did sort of become a little bit attritional. But certainly in the early stages, they were attacking. And I think this is something that... We've seen a shift in Mourinho that I think back then he was genuinely pragmatic. He did yeah. what it took to win. And that might be attacking, it might be defending. And I think what we've seen more recently is he's fallen back more and more in big games on just defend. Um, and so he, he's almost become non-pragmatic. He's become ideological, but his ideology is is negative. Yeah. But I think in that season, he was genuinely pragmatic. And I, I mean, I don't know if this is entirely fair, but would you say that Chelsea game was the first time that season there was a sense of Inter really as a, as a, as a power? Because I mean, they sort of scrambled through the group, hadn't they? they? They only won two games. They'd had that very fortuitous, I mean, fortuitous maybe is the wrong word, but that very late win against Dynamo Kiev when it had been 1-0 down with four minutes to go and, mm-hmm. and then scored twice, which in, in, you know, in that respect was, was seen as a sort of great example of Mourinho holding his nerve, mm-hmm. of, of believing in his plan. But you know, when you're watching that game, that's not how it felt. It felt like, what, what are you doing? Going to yeah. do something? But you know, it did work. But then that Chelsea game was you know, a sense of actually maybe this team can is a little bit better than we thought. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I yeah, I, I feel like in in my mind, my image of that uh, uh, of that Chelsea second leg is is Eto just sort of running rings around John Terry, really sort of putting him on tilt, and and, and Chelsea looking. Just overwhelmed by the the quality that Inter had going forward, but you're right. The, the group stage, there was none of that yet. And again, it makes a lot of sense, right? This was a team that uh, this is, you know we haven't even mentioned him yet. Zlatan Ibrahimovic yeah. was was the guy who led the line for Inter, and then he goes and Schneider comes in. It was a team in evolution through the first part of that season. It was a team that didn't work out its identity until the middle point, and that's why I always sort of feel like every year now when I'm talking about the Champions League, I end up sort of repeating over and over. It, it's it's all about timing. It's all about being good at the right part of the competition. And Inter were in their stride at the most important part of this competition, um, which they weren't necessarily at the beginning. You're right. Um, and Snyder, I mean, am, I, am I right in saying that he he arrived and then was pretty much shoved in the team the next day? I think it was a derby. I think he came literally off the plane on the Friday and was in the team, I don't remember if it was Saturday or Sunday, the the, the game, but it was a, literally a day or two later he was he was in the team for Inter and he didn't sort of, uh, it wasn't like a narrative where he scored a hat trick and, and uh, walked off with the match ball, but he was good right away. Like he stepped right in and, and played well. Yeah, it was a late transfer. It was one of those things that happened at the end of the window. Schneider sort of realising that he wasn't actually going to get what he needed at Madrid and, and Madrid kind of being at that point, no, we need to get him out the door. And 
um, and completely defining, just absolutely changed everything for for that Inter team and for Mourinho and and ultimately for his legacy there. Yeah, and this was this was when Mourinho, because one can easily forget this in, in Mourinho's, uh, you know, at his current club and, and Manchester United and the way he's been performing and so on. But before the game against Chelsea, which we've we've mentioned a few times, you know, he said, "Yeah, I, I normally get what I want at Stamford Bridge." There was a confidence. There was. Um, an aura. He still had that aura. I mean, he did the treble with Inter, lest we forget, of course. But going into that game against Barcelona, not only were Barcelona the best side in Europe at the time, one would argue, as as Paolo said, Inter had lost probably their well, one of their best players, certainly in Zlatan Ibrahimovic, and he'd gone to Barcelona, which showed you that Barcelona at the time was saying, well, we'll have him. We can basically have whoever we want. And I, Yeah, and I think the idea of signing Ibrahimovic was... To, to to give them a, a different option. But by the following season, it had become about the absolute purity of the Barca way, of it being what what we in this country call tiki-taka, a, a phrase that Guardiola hates, but that, that close-passing possession football. But in, in that sort of middle season, um, you know, the, the season between the two Champions Leagues, there was a, a feeling of, actually, maybe, maybe we do need another option. Uh, but the problem is, Ibrahimovic actually reduces your options because he, he's not mobile enough to, to make those runs that Eto ended up making mm. uh, with whatever degree of reluctance. But, you know, Eto did end up playing wide on the right so the Messi could play as the false nine. Well, Ibrahimovic wasn't happy with that at all. And he, he you saw then the following season when David Villa came in, how somebody making those darting runs you could make Messi more effective. And Ibrahimovic just wouldn't do that. He, wouldn't, he wasn't prepared to do that. Clearly, temperamentally, he and Guardiola never got on. I mean, he, he just sort of dismissed him. He dismissed him as the philosopher. And Ibrahimovic, actually, you see through his career was very sort of sceptical of, of of theorists as coaches. I mean, he hated Van Gaal as well. That, that didn't work out when Van Gaal was the sporting director at Ajax. So Sabrahimovic always needed to be the main man in the team. And he was prepared to sacrifice himself within a certain within certain parameters. And Mourinho had been very, very good at getting the best out of him. And there was a story, I think it was the third last game of, of that last season he had at Inter, um, when the title had pretty much been wrapped up. And Ibrahimovic sort of, I'm, I'm tired now, can I come off at half-time? And Mourinho's like, no, get out there. And he scores in the second half, and I think he scored three goals in the last two games of the season, and as a result, wins top scorer. And there was almost, you know, you see this with a lot of players, they sort of talk about how Mourinho almost knew them better than they knew themselves. He knew what was good for them. And that, that is something that's definitely diminished recently. And so, you know, he, he and Ibrahimovic had a very close relationship. And I think Ibrahimovic pretty quickly recognised he wasn't going to have that with Guardiola and probably regretted leaving. No, I was I was re-watching um, the highlights of, of this game earlier and there's a moment uh, which I just sort of, one of those delicious sort of never uh, explained moments in, in detail in, in the highlights. I think it was just before half time and Guardiola's having a word with Ibrahimovic by the sideline. And Mourinho right, just yeah. saunters over, <laughs> sort of puts his hand on Pep's shoulder and has a little yeah. interjection in their conversation. That, that's not how you talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. You just don't, you, yeah, whatever he said, I'm sure it was something um, yeah, provocative and and, uh, and very Jose. But yes, it was a, a wonderful little aside. But of yeah. course, if Ibrahimovic had played for Inter, Melito would not have done. Right, Melito yes. was absolutely magnificent. Often overlooked season. because yeah, and, and I have to say I'd, I'd forgotten how good he was yeah. till you know again rewatching this game. Melito, but he took it on board anyway. Chance, in the first goal. So not only Barcelona arrive there as, as massive favourites, but yeah, they take lead after 19 minutes. And Barcelona get the breakthrough through Pedro just after they'd had a scare at one end. It's Pedro who converts uh, another. Uh, Pedro scoring Maxwell Cup like a classic sort of Barcelona goal. Um, then on the half hour, 
It's a, and it's a really well-worked goal. Eto'o gets the ball in the right, plays the ball into the box and Melito, who anyway. uses his strength. Goal! Schneider equalises! Take the ball, was back to goal, and turn, lay it off to Schneider coming in from the left. He finishes it very, very well. But that sort of, the, the strength of Melito, you, you, you see his, his, his awareness, you see his power, you see his, his intelligence, how he uses his body. And you sort of think, yeah, that, he was really good for that one yeah <laughs> it was great for general the year before actually had it no two years later he had a i think he scored more than 20 goals for inter as well yeah I'm, I'm being unfair yeah. but but <laughs> yeah he, he, he's a player who's quickly faded from view shall we say mm. and you know at half time things were going so well for inter that Mourinho said i think we're going to win 4-1 and he was very nearly right mm. and three minutes in the second half they, they get a second melito to Michael. goals it was a quick break uh melito ends up in, in the end sort of laying it off to mike on to score Schneider's there again, Melito! And no one deserves a goal more than Diego Melito! 30 minutes later, they get another one. And again, it's on the break. It's Neto crossing the right again. Snyder coming in on the back post. And his head is actually not very good. It goes back across goal, but Melito's there to nod it in. Possibly uh, offside. But... Poss- yeah, it's close. It's close. Um, but possibly offside. Hmm. And of course, Barca, you know, when, when Mourinho starts complaining about Barca getting refereeing <laughs> decisions, that's one of the two things from this game that we always talk about. Yeah. And the second one is an absolutely blatant penalty when Snyder goes through the back of Dani Alves in the box. Um, and I think Dani Alves ended up getting, getting booked for diving when mm. um, the whole weight of Snyder's gone gone through the back of his right ankle. Mm. So, yeah, Inter did have a little bit of luck with refereeing decisions, but on the balance of play, 3-1 was probably fair enough. And so. they kept Messi very quiet in that game. Yeah, they did. And Zanetti they did, did a, a good job on him. Yeah. Um, and and that again, I think, shows the you know the M- Mourinho when you give him a, a defensive task, he's very good at working out a way of doing it. And I think a, a more a more mobile Barca, I think the Barca of the football, as we subsequently saw, and as we'll talk about in, in, in the next podcast, when when Barca get Veer and they get a more mobile front three, playing with that low block as Mourinho tried to do, it's it's much harder. It's much more vulnerable. So Ibrahimovic sort of upset the... Almost helped Mourinho in his yeah. approach to the... Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit UH1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future 
and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, You won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Um, and into the second leg, Paolo. I've, if anybody watches that game, they'll remember where and all the rest of it, even though it was only 1-0 and, and 19% possession, obviously, Thiago Motta was, was sent off mm. and, and many people were, were angry with Busquets' uh, reaction to that. But what an epic battle it was. Yeah, absolutely. Again, I've, sort of, I've, I've copied down a little line from Gazette and I was uh, reading the coverage <laughs> game, which is, uh, what does it matter to score goals when you can slide, cover, track back, stop, free like that it's that idea again of like what's what's important in football it's not you know not who needs to score goals we can be brilliant at something else and in, in, did to, Mourinho write that himself yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean the Italian press well you have to bear in mind that you know Italian football was not at its highest ebb at this moment in time uh, and uh, I think there was a real sort of and there has been it's frankly it's, it's extended for for some time into into the more recent past and is only now being diluted by Juventus's sort of consistency in Europe but there's been a quite an inferiority um like complex going on for for Italian uh, football um, as a result of the slide down the UEFA rankings and all the rest. And yes, I think for for you know a, a not exactly um, even handed uh, national press, and especially Gazzetta, because Gazzetta is based in Milan, and in Italy, all of these papers uh, tend to skew towards the clubs in the in their home cities. Yes, it was a it was a pretty uh, jubilant a reaction to everything that went on. But look, it was it was who knows how this game would have gone if Motta wasn't sent off. Mourinho said afterwards. Uh, well, I think it was a while afterwards. Someone was talking to him about parking buses, and he said, "You know, you're three one down. So you're three one up against uh, that Barcelona team, uh, and you've just had a man sent off. You know, you'd park a plane if you could." Um, <laughs> and and fair enough, you know, it's it's he's not wrong. What what are you supposed to do against this team that that has been blowing everyone away? Um, and the fact is that Inter did it really, really incredibly well. So after Motta goes off, Eto and and Melito literally get pulled back into midfield they're, they're no longer playing as forwards at all and Schneider's operating as a as a sort of I guess a false nine barely seeing the ball uh, at all and let alone in, in Barcelona's half there was a point when Inter won a corner on a sort of one of the very very rare phrase forward and Melito went to take it and I think he had two men in the box and seven Barcelona defenders so there was no pretense <laughs> there was no pretense of that this was going to be an attempt to, to break out an attack really after after they went down to 10 men they honestly didn't they didn't give up anything there was no you know until PK pulls off this sort of amazing uh, moment of of suddenly I'm a centre forward, there was no threat from Barcelona in particular. There was a lot of stuff from outside there. I think there was one just before. So I think Boyan got a header at the far post, which he should have put on target. Really should have done it. Um, Completely unmarked at the back post. It's right on his head and he just slides it. Yeah, a couple of feet wide. A couple of feet wide. To be fair, if you're going to leave a man unmarked, though, in that Barcelona <laughs> yeah, side. Yeah. Well, and he even got that right. <laughs> it's it's funny, isn't it? Because I, I was thinking that when I was... I was um, Looking back over this, do you think the substitutions that Barcelona made, Bojan coming on, Jeffren coming on, they're not, you know, it's not like even you look at Pep's Man City team now at the weekend when he's bringing De Bruyne off the bench, Jesus off the bench and Sané off the bench. It wasn't like that at that Barcelona team in that moment anyway. Yeah, um, because Bojan set up the fifth goal for 
yeah for him mm. the next time that um Guardiola Mourinho met yeah, so true but yeah you know not players who you think of as necessarily being the untouchable one and uh I, I think before that Bayern chance it was mostly chances from outside the area Ibrahimovic had one that went wide I think maybe in the first half Messi had one that required a decent save from uh uh, Julio Cesar Julio Cesar yes. well actually Julio Cesar to be fair makes three or four really good saves I'd say do you think there were three or four really good ones I didn't feel yeah. like they were, they were that there were yeah, a few the saves the one from Messi but... is the best one he's, yeah. he's sort he of a shot from 20 yards and yeah he, he, he sort of dives low to his right I, no, I think he I, makes... I didn't think many of the others were, were you know were anything you wouldn't expect a, a keeper playing in a Champions League semi-final oh, well, okay maybe but I, I, you know but he I still think, has to make three or four but saves but I think what so. you know the overall point Paolo's saying is that it wasn't like Barcelona where there was goal mouth scrambles and no, into no, no. With the I skin mean, of their teeth. It was. And this is this is classic Mourinho, isn't it? What we've we've come to, to know and, and some love and some hate. He they they set their stall out after that sending off and he said, Go on then, have a go. And they and they couldn't do it. And that gives him so much joy as his jubilant and dare I say sort of quite strange celebration in some ways suggested after the final whistle. Yeah, I mean, um, there's a couple of other things I want to talk about. Course, let's course, talk about, yeah. let's talk about <laughs> the celebration. Okay. Um, that he, you know, he, when he leaves the bench, he he doesn't do what normally coaches do, which is to go and hug their players or shake hands with the opposition or maybe... <laughs> he do, certainly didn't do that. ...do some patronising consolation of yeah. Guardiola. Never mind, mate. Better <laughs> luck next time. You know, he, he sprints with his you know, arm up, finger raised... You know, like like he's Jesse, Jesse Lingard just scored the winning <laughs> yeah. FA Cup final, uh, and goes sprinting over to the Inter fans in the top corner of the Camp Nou. Uh, Victor Valdez tries to cut him off for some reason. It's quite have, bizarre. Have a yeah. Bit of an argument. Sulimantari kind of comes in and mm-hmm. gets rid of Valdez. Sprinklers come on, and that, yeah, and, and <laughs> that's, that's, right, that's yeah. even better for, yeah. for, for Mourinho because he hasn't just beaten Barca; he's he's knocked the halo sideways. Yeah, this isn't you know, Mexican club. This sort of great sort of you know, we're we're the nice guys here. You're so nice that when the opposition beat us, we put the sprinklers on so they can't celebrate on the pitch. Mm, yeah, yeah he, he, it's often forgotten about those little things about Barcelona. He's you know he's won that on on every level, um, but he's he's not just beaten them; he's damaged their their, their self image. But yeah, I think it, it's sort of it's characteristic or it's, it's telling of how Mourinho won the propaganda battle as well. A that that sprinklers being turned on, and B our memories of the sending off. Our memory of it is Busquets peeking through his fingers, mm. and sure, he made more of it than was there. But Mosher had already been booked, yeah. and he sticks his hand in another player's face and pushes him away. Now, if that had been a second yellow, nobody in the world could have complained about yeah. it. If you put your hand in somebody's face and push, even if you're not looking at him, you cannot complain at yellow card. The fact it was a straight red probably was wrong. Yeah. But either way, Mott is off the pitch. So the fact that we, we think of that as a, as a scandal and we think of Busquets as play acting, which absolutely he made the most <laughs> of it, tells you just how good Mourinho is at kind of manipulating our memory of events. Uh, well, I mean, I think history is all, always written a bit by the victors, isn't it? You know, that's, that's The victors it. and Brian Glanville. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I completely agree with you. It was, I think it was a second yellow rather than a straight, yeah, straight red, which is what he got. I think a straight red... When you look at it, it, it isn't a violent push. It's it's a it's a brush, but he shouldn't be putting his hand up there. So yeah, he's off either way. Um, and yes, the fact that Busquets does his little peekaboo is is sort of by the by. <laughs> um, it was funny, you know. Motta literally the day before the game in the pre-game press conference had said, "Oh, Barcelona players are always throwing themselves on the floor." So there was a certain you know uh, irony to the fact that he failed to account for the likelihood of doing of this. But he was an idiot. The first the first booking was was absolutely clear cut and so he shouldn't have been doing anything anything like that at all 
Yeah. And then the, the other thing I think it's worth picking up on is, um, and Paolo mentioned it, the way that uh, Milito and Eto drop back and become these sort of auxiliary fullbacks. And the, you know, the story that's told, it's obviously very hard for us to know, is that Mourinho didn't tell them to do that. That he would have told them to do that, but he didn't need to. <laughs> because, um, and this is interesting about Mourinho's whole methodology, he, he thinks that football is so complex that was the uh, the automizations for one of a, of a much better word. There's a word that Ed Nazar used when he was asked about what's the difference between Conte and Mourinho. And he said Conte's better at the automizations, meaning these sort of preset moves of you know, five or six passes, whatever, where we know that if the right back gets the ball in this position, the right side of holding midfielder makes this run and he makes this run and then I have to come in there and I know that ball's going to be played. And you know, if, if you practice those and you do them quickly and you get a game situation where the opportunity to to enact that happens then you can do it you know half a second a second faster than if you haven't practiced them and that's obviously very you know makes it harder to defend against and that's one of the reasons why club football is quicker than international football because international football you don't have a time to to get those automizations Mourinho thinks football is too complicated to do that he thinks that it's, it's too much of a risk just waiting for those uh, opportunities to to enact those automizations to occur so he says that what he you know what he prefers to do is psychologically to prepare his players that in any given situation they make the right decision. And so for him, the fact that these two forwards, these two centre forwards, as soon as they go a man down, realise that their job is to drop in to become defensive wide midfielders without him needing to tell them. That shows a level of mental preparation, a level of tactical preparation he's, he's got them to is absolutely perfect, that they're already making actually quite big calls themselves and then a little glance to the benches. This is right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Mm. And of course, they were both they were both magnificent. Well, I mean, every interplay was magnificent in that game, but they particularly because they were doing jobs that were so unnatural for them. Mm-hmm. I think I have to take great credit. It, it did. I mean, it did cross my mind with Eto as well. Like how much you know this was because uh, we already mentioned Ibrahimovic and, and switching sides. But the fact that this was an opportunity to stick the the I don't know if the knife in is the right word, but you know to to, to stick it to Guardiola to say, hey, you know you. Uh, didn't give me, even though he's doing kind of what Guardiola wanted him to do, playing out wide and, and sacrificing himself. Uh, you didn't uh, make me feel wanted and, and sort of needed and essential like they do here at Inter. And I'm going to show you how how much more valuable I am than the guy you spent a bunch of money to replace me with. Absolutely. And, and that relationship had already begun to break down, the, the relationship between Guardiola and Ibrahimovic. And I think, I think it's between, I think it's, is it between the two legs of this game? Was it between the two legs of the Arsenal game? I can't remember. But it, it's sort of been in, in the sort of within the two or three weeks before the second leg, the incident where uh, Ibrahimovic is raging at Guardiola having been substituted and in the dressing room afterwards, he, he kicks the skip that they, they keep the kit in and it goes kind of flying over the floor and Ibrahimovic is trying to provoke some kind of huge row so you know, he can clear the air with Guardiola, who's somebody who hates confrontation and Guardiola just sort of picks up the skip and carries it out like a little caretaker. He's a bit of well, of course, Inter, they, they, they overcame Barcelona. And for Mourinho, is, as we've just said, uh, a huge um, sort of dent in, in the Barcelona character or whatever you want to say. And Jonathan, you've often described him as this sort of fallen angel of Barcelona and Croyfian and, and so on and so forth. Well, who do they play in the final? Louis yeah. van Gaal's Bayern Munich. And, yeah. and fairly handedly beat them 2-0, Melito with both goals. Yeah, I mean, and, yeah, to, to meet... His nemesis and his mentor. You know, it, it, it's uh, yeah, it's an extraordinary script. And, and you know, Van Hal was sort of. Um, I, mean, I remember the pre-match press conference in, in my final was in Madrid, 
and that, that, that pre-match press conference and Van Gaal was sort of very very much playing a sort of indulgent uncle of kind of yeah well I wouldn't have gone about the semi-final quite like that but you know <laughs> you have to give a young man credit blah 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 <laughs> um, I, I mean the truth is Inter were, were a better side than Bayern yes. Bayern were still very young the, the players like Thomas Muller who would go on to be kind of great stars were I mean I, th- I think Muller looked, looked kind of pretty callow in that final that players like Lucio and, and uh, you were, you were just smarter than him and, and, and Walter Samuel. Walter Samuel, yeah. Yeah, sort of just more experienced and, and sort of knew how to handle a, a young Tyro like that. Um, and of course, Van Gaal afterwards, the classic sort of um, uh, excuse of those who practice the Crichton philosophy of, well, of course, defensive football is much easier. We tried to attack. Yeah, you lost 2 0, doesn't really matter. <laughs> and of course, Melito gets the two goals because Melito had that, that golden season. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the combination of, I mean, particularly the semi final and then the final. In the Bernabeu is what gets Mourinho the, the Madrid job the following year mm. and sets up the huge rivalry that, that has followed. Yeah, which we now know and love, Paolo. Yeah. Love, mm, well, certainly know it. Yeah, I, I think there have been moments where it's been more lovable than right now. Um, I don't know that it feels as much of a close rivalry at the moment. I think, you know, even though you've got Jose's United finishing second to Pep City, it, it feels like there's a gulf there and that one of those men has a. Uh, establish an identity with his team that is is carrying forward, and and the other one is frustrated and and not uh, not getting. I don't know. Again, I, it comes to an identity for me. I just don't feel like this current Man United team. I see the identity in it. I saw, for instance, with that Inter team. Um, I don't I don't feel like there's a clear idea of who United are under under Mourinho at the moment. Mm. But but obviously with with Guardiola himself, a part of his story is this rivalry with Mourinho, and as you say, this was the season. This was the time when when that rivalry was very much established. Yeah, this was it at its peak. That these these two candidates for Barcelona job, one of them successful, one of them is not, and the the the, the one who's you know who's rejected comes back to win, albeit winning by losing, which is a very Mourinho way of doing things <laughs> in the Camp Nou, and the sprinklers going on. You know, and yeah, it, it, it was arguably the last time I think that Mourinho's philosophy enjoyed it. Uh, a huge victory over Guardiola. Now, of course, subsequently he did win the league with Real Madrid. But that this was a time when he began to doubt Guardiola and think, is this really... Maybe, maybe this isn't the thing we thought it was. And then by the following season, it very much is the thing we thought it was. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but this is the real sort of... The real height of the rivalry. I think, I think it's worth adding as well, because we actually haven't mentioned it yet, that in all of this, and in all that I completely felt like over two legs, Inter deserved their place in the final. Oh yeah, and Kerchich does score in in the ninety third minute with a goal that is disallowed for a handball by Toure that is questionable again. It's you know yeah. it's kicked into his hand at very close range, and his hand is in front of his chest. If it yeah. hadn't been there, would have hit his stomach. And actually, you have to watch about three replays before you see it. Yeah, the ball does hit his hand, but yeah, he he's four feet, five feet from. Was it Lucio clearing it? I think. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and it, yeah, bounces to Boyan who who does stick it away. So again, when when Mourinho subsequently is moaning on and on and on about all these decisions that, that go against him. And, you know, oh, you know we, 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 even that game we have to win with 10 men. Well, yeah, but this UEFA conspiracy missed a really, really good opportunity <laughs> yeah. to kind of, yeah. to put you out. It's funny you mentioned that decision. I remember the Thiago Motta sending off more 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe I fall for, for the trick there. Well, uh, there we are. That is, uh, we've come to the end of, of another Barcelona Legacy podcast. Paolo Bandini, thank you very much indeed. Yes. Uh, and Jonathan Wilson, of course, thank you. And um, that was the fifth podcast of a six part series, of course, that coincide with the release of the Barcelona Legacy, a book that explores how the evolution of today's game begins at Barcelona 25 years ago with the pioneering ideas of Johan Cruyff and was taken on by the likes of Louis van Gaal, Jose Mourinho and Pep Guardiola. We'll see you next time. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.